Hi there, it's episode 137. Today I'm chatting with Janet Lansbury and we're talking about hurrying our children. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi there, it's Danae. This is episode 137, and today I'm chatting with Janet Lansbury. And I use the old expression that if you haven't heard of Janet, you must have been living under a rock because Janet has a top-ranked podcast, well-renowned books, and she's just a wealth of information and inspiration in the parenting community. I'm so glad that Janet agreed to talk with me about this topic today, which is hurrying our children. Uh, In our fast-paced society, we rush from one place to the next, and we end up hurrying our children through their days and also through their lives. Our expectations on what children are supposed to accomplish and achieve and complete in any given moment are often higher than they should be, and the result can be extra stress and extra overwhelm that we're adding to their plate. But before we get into today's episode, I have a quick word from our sponsor and a really big announcement from Simple Families as well. Unless you're new to the podcast, you've probably heard me sing the praises of PrepDish. PrepDish is a meal planning service, and I'm always excited to find podcast sponsors that I truly believe and support and use myself. And PrepDish has been such an essential tool in simplifying the cooking and meal prep in our home. We've been using PrepDish for about four months. And while I was previously doubtful that this sort of service would ever work for me, it truly does. And here's how it works. They don't send you food or anything like that. They send you a PDF every week. And on that PDF, there's three parts. There's a list of the recipes and the ingredients, a prep day description, and a meal day description. So usually on about Thursday, I order my groceries online. So I sit down with a list of ingredients. I put those into my shopping cart and order them through my local grocery store delivery service. And then over the weekend, my husband and I work together to do the prep day. The prep day option for the standard option takes about an hour and a half. They also have a quick option that's faster. So on prep day, we make all the marinades, all the sauces. We do all the chopping. That way, when it comes time to actually serve the dish on the day of the meal, I only have to do maybe 10 minutes worth of work. The whole process is simple and seamless, and it has made our weekdays so much easier and so much lighter. PrepDish is giving the Simple Families audience two weeks free. So try it. Let me know how it goes. I want to know if you love it as much as I do. You can go to PrepDish.com forward slash families, and that's all lowercase. And there you can get your two weeks of free meal planning. Again, that's PrepDish.com forward slash families. All right, so now for the big announcement. I've been working on this for quite some time. I've been dreaming of this for even longer, probably. So I've created for you a Simple Families Masterclass, and that is a structured step-by-step approach to simplifying your home and to simplify your parenting. Now, this is very different from some of the other programs that I've run in the past, which have been really topical, focusing in for 30 days on a particular topic. This is going to start with four lessons on simplifying your home and then moving into four lessons on simplifying your parenting. And it's going to take place over the course of eight weeks with a lot of accountability and community involved, which I think are both my favorite parts of online programs like this. So go to simplefamilies.com forward slash masterclass. And for this week only, you'll get 30% off. You don't need a coupon code or anything. So get signed up. I'm excited to have you. 
You can view lots more information on what the course includes, when it runs, really anything you need to know on that website, simplefamilies.com forward slash masterclass. That's all one word. All right, back to my chat with Janet. It was so great to talk to her live. I've been such a fan of her work for so long now. In this conversation, I'm going to talk about the fact that I am guilty of hurrying my own children, both hurrying them out the door and hurrying them to grow up and to do things before they're ready to do them. And of course, Jana brings us plenty of wisdom on this topic. Thanks for tuning in and go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 137 to leave questions or comments in the show notes. And you can find links to learn more about Janet there as well. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Janet. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Janae. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love if we could just start off by you introducing yourself. Tell us a little bit more about you and Rye and Respectful Parenting and what you do. Okay. I started sharing this approach about nine years ago online. And it is the approach that was taught to me by a woman named Magda Gerber. And I it's based on children being aware people from the moment that they're born, actually in the womb. Some of them are very aware people as well. And treating the child with that perspective, which means doing a lot of things that I never would have done on my own and wasn't doing, really joining with that child and inviting them to participate in their life from the beginning, speaking to them as people that were beginning to hear and even understand the words and deserve that respect and warning about what's going to happen to their bodies next and what's going on and what's going on in their day, giving them empowering babies to be in a relationship with us and a part of an active part of their life right from the beginning. And with that perspective, everything changes. Everything changed for me. The way I responded to my daughter's communication, the way that I uh, parented her, guided her, did everything with her, the daily routines that you have to do became a time of connection and exchanging with another person. And the interesting thing is you put it out there with, you take that leap of faith and you invite your child to join you and you find that they are actually aware and they are able to communicate back and they are understanding what you're saying. It's fascinating. But if you don't put it out there, you don't get that feedback. So this was a life-changing approach for me and it definitely uh, has guided my parenting with three children. It still does guide me with them and with even other adults because it's all about relationship. It's about building the best most affirming, trusting relationship that we can with a child. And so it applies to everybody at all ages. And I was teaching this. My mentor trained me and I became a teacher of this, but it was just something I was doing a little bit here and there. I had one class during the week that I would do, one or two classes, and I was still mostly a stay-home mom. But then uh, I got offered to, somebody was going to develop a website so that this approach could be shared online. And they asked a couple of people and those people turned them down actually. And I said, yes, sure, I'll try it. I didn't know anything about online and how that all worked, but I love this approach. It's really easy for me to share because 
I believe in it so much. I don't need to try to sell anybody on anything. It's definitely not everybody's cup of tea or the way they want to see things, but it's actually affected a lot more people than I would ever have imagined. And here I am still sharing it. But now it's become, I have books and a podcast and other things, and I'm actually getting a little money back for some of this. But uh, yeah, it's a labor of love and it helps people. It changes lives. It makes parenting easier. It makes everything clearer. Again, not for everybody, but for the people that resonate with it. So how old were your kids when you found Magda and Rai? I only had one and she was three months. Okay. So early on in your parenting journey. Now I've talked to a lot of different people from different parenting philosophies on the podcast. I've talked to people from the Montessori perspective and the Waldorf perspective and various. And Rai is another one that I feel like is unique, but at the same time, complements some of the other perspectives as well. And what I've seen in in these different perspectives is that often mothers are looking for a one-size-fits-all approach and they'll go sort of all in on one approach or another. What are your thoughts on that? I feel like as a mother, I try to draw inspirations from different things that resonate with me. Do you feel like picking one approach and sticking with it is valuable or do you feel like we should just sort of follow what suits us best? Hmm, That's an interesting question. I never thought of my journey as I'm picking an approach and I'm going with it. It was just very organic that it all made sense to me. And I just wanted to know more and more about it. And it was serving me from the moment I started practicing it. And I never occurred to me to find a different approach. I was getting everything I wanted and more from this one. But everybody's got their own journey and they've got to do what, uh, you know, feels resonates with them. Yeah. So just because someone tells you that rye is a wonderful fit for them doesn't mean it's going to be a wonderful for you. I think that I just would like to encourage everyone listening to this to know that I have an open mind when it comes to different parenting philosophies. And there's a lot of different things that inspire me and that it's okay to feel drawn in different directions. Of course, anything's okay. It's all supposed to be helpful. There's no other right. It's not about <laughs> labeling ourselves or being in any competition or anything like that. It's, it's just what helps. I will say about the Rye approach is that it's about your child being your teacher. It's about listening to and observing your child and learning who that person is and facilitating their development as themselves, not trying to be anything that I want you to be, uh, really giving you that encouragement to be the best you that you can be. And for that reason, I do think it works for every child. I'm going to put that out there. I'm going to say that (laughs) in my experience, but it's not every parent's choice of the way to do things, which is also fine. Something that really resonates with me about Rye, I didn't find Rye until my second child, my daughter was born. I have a almost five-year-old son and a two and a half-year-old daughter. And in my I think about hurrying our children. And I have always I'm a fast processor. I do things quickly. I walk fast, I talk fast, I do everything quickly. And um, when I had my first, I just assumed that he would be the same way. 
And he was sort of the opposite. He was the kid that liked to take his time and do things when he was ready, which I think most of our children will if we let them. And I found that I hurried him a lot in his early days. And he was and still is a late bloomer. He was later to roll over and later to sit up and later to walk. And I found that in... So he walked just shy of 16 months. And at the time, I was finishing my PhD in child development. And on an intellectual level, I knew that all children develop in their own time. But it didn't stop me from being worried and from hurrying him and from buying all the devices to help him walk and all the different types of shoes, the hard sole and the soft sole, and taking him to all the professionals, the OT and the PT and the pediatrician and the podiatrist, you name it, um, out of fear and hurrying him, worried that he wasn't doing things fast enough. And I feel like in this world where we are moving so quickly and everything is so fast-paced, that this is cropping up more and more. And I know that I fell victim to it. Yes, I think it's easy to do. And as parents, I think we're going to be inclined to worry about something. There's always something to worry about. And it's difficult to have that trust in a child that's so tiny. That is the first principle of the Rye approach is basic trust in the child as an initiator, an explorer, and a self-learner, and that they are the masters of development and play, and they know what their body's supposed to be doing better than we do. So that piece, which is the again, right at the core of this approach that that I started to learn when my daughter was very young, helped set me up, set me on a course for, yeah, you we let those worries come in and we look at them. And I think with you, it's wonderful that you have this self-awareness and ability to reflect on this is me. And even to look at where is that coming from in me? What am I afraid of? And exploring that in ourselves, it helps us to understand, okay, this is me and it might've come from this, or this is you know, maybe why I feel this way, but that isn't about my child and I can give my child something different. And that's a process that is, has to happen with a lot of things because we're all coming into parenting with our own ghosts of how we were parented. You know, some of them very positive, some not as positive, maybe. So to make peace with those, I think, is really helpful. And then the practice of trust and observation, which doesn't sound like an exciting thing, but through observation of a baby or a toddler, really calming ourselves and and just being there and noticing what they're doing as objectively as possible. We're never going to be totally objective with our child, but as objectively as possible, it really helps you to see their pace, which is, yes, a whole lot slower. They're wonderful about being in the moment. They can teach us that. They can bring us to that reality more often than we might get to it. That's one of the gifts of children. And that they do know what they're doing. (laughs) They do have their own interdirected development that's going on and ideas about play and creative things. So that thing of observing (laughs) your child is probably not something I talk enough about in my work, but it really does help you see where your child is and to trust more 
and to also see where all our projections are because they all come up for us. Oh gosh, he's not doing, he didn't, I set the toys out this way and he did it another way. And ah, that'd be better if he did it this way, but wait a second. No, it wouldn't. (laughs) It's actually perfect what he's doing. All those kinds of realizations that we have, those self-awarenesses that we have, will come into you know our thoughts and we'll be able to say, oh, that's really interesting. Look how much I'm not trusting. Look how much I'm projecting my own piece here. So anyway, it's obviously a process, but yeah, it's, I think also for people, maybe you're this kind of person that's a very accomplished doer type person. I'm actually not that way. I'm much more of a passive receptive type person. And I've noticed working with parents that for people like me, this part of it, the slowing down part is a lot easier. There's other parts of this approach that are more challenging, but this part is a lot easier than for people that really want to teach and do and show and, and are very active people that way. So I don't know, does you relate to that? Yes, completely. And I think that that was absolutely me projecting onto him. And it's funny because I, re- I started to reflect when once he started to walk just shy of 16 months, my first thought after that was, when is he going to jump? And that's when I caught myself like, you know, you can't live like this. Like you can't live two steps ahead of him. And I think that it really took that for me to realize that I needed to slow down and to find a pace where I could meet him because I wasn't teaching him how to walk like in all these, like buying all these devices and shoes and taking him to all these professionals in my mind on some level. I I thought I was teaching him how to walk, but after reflecting, I realized I was just teaching him that he wasn't enough and he wasn't doing things fast enough for me. And I was just like, is that what I want to be teaching him? Is that what I want his childhood to look like? And it's a slippery slope. I think that when you have a, a mindset like me and when you are a doer and you're always moving forward like that, it's easy to get sucked into that. Definitely. Definitely. And look at our society and look at the way we, you know, everything is we're dating someone and everyone asks, when are you getting married? <laughs> and then we get married. When yeah. are you having a baby? And then we have a baby. Are you going to have another baby? When are you going to do that? We can never just be in the moment. And this was a huge message that Magda Gerber gave, and it's all wrapped up in the trust piece. And that is enjoy what your child is doing right now. And that's the message that yes. gives. And it's not only for your child to feel I'm enough. I'm good enough. What I'm doing is valid. What I'm doing is interesting. They don't want me to do more. It's not just for your child. It's for us. It's for us to feel like, hey, I can just be here in this moment and I can enjoy the things my child is doing and how different they are from what another child might be doing in regards to allowing them to self-direct play and seeing what they do and how they do things and kind of getting the vibe of your child that's all the positives. My two daughters didn't walk till almost 16 months as well. And then I had a son who walked much earlier, but yeah, it was tough with that first one to trust to that part when it gets to that extent where it's kind of beyond the what you expected. But they were both early readers, those girls. So, you know, you just don't know what's going on inside those brains. And it's the best thing we can do, again, is to trust that they're doing the perfect thing for them right now. Right. And after I went through this with my son and I sort of met this realization that this was not serving him and it was not serving me, I found Rye and I had my second child and I decided I wasn't pushing 
and let her come to things on her own term. You know, I never sat her up in the seated position or put her on a walker, or let her just sort of come to all of her developmental milestones on her own. And sure enough, she was walking professionally by the time she was nine months with no help from me. <laughs> and she did things on her own time. And I sort of stayed back and I did the observing. And it was amazing to see how capable kids are of doing the things that they're meant to do without having a hand in it from the adults in some ways. They don't need to be taught. They're the masters of these areas of life. And But I just want to say, it doesn't always work that way. Yeah, Let my two daughters do it in their own way and time. And they were later and my son was earlier. So it's that doesn't necessarily go together. I just want to be clear from yeah. parents that, oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I let go and my child did it earlier. It doesn't always work at all. Right. But I found that the rushing wasn't, it wasn't necessary. That's for right. sure. Yeah. But I think probably both your children end up doing it at the perfect time for them. It's just that you stressed out a lot more about your son. So that was, you know, discomfort that you had to bear. Right. Absolutely. And and a good lesson as you move into parenting, because that's sort of part of what you face for many years to come, sort of this trusting and facing discomfort and letting our children be who they're truly going to be without pushing ourselves and projecting ourselves onto them, which I think is a challenge for many of us. It definitely is. And I'll say with my youngest now, uh, a senior applying to colleges, senior in high school, my two daughters are college graduates. It is, you have to, you know, he's making his own choices about what schools he wants to apply to. We can suggest things, but it's totally up to him. And he's doing the whole process himself too because we've trusted him, but it's not always easy to let your child have the steering wheel for, again, not everything in their life. Obviously they need boundaries and limits and they need us to be leaders in a lot of things, but in these areas, play, learning, development, they need to rule. I believe they need to be trusted. This is where they know better than we know. Yes. And I think there's so much irony in the fact that we rush our kids through these early years. You know, we rush them to read, we rush them off to school and into academics. And all of a sudden they're 10, 11, 12 years old. And we say, you know, what happened? Their kids these days are growing up too fast. (laughs) Yes. Magda Gerber used to say, this is a time when people are living longer and yet we're making childhood shorter. What? That doesn't make any sense. Right. There is so much irony in that, I think. Now, hurrying kids can happen on so many levels. And hurrying the overall development of our children is one thing. But hurrying them on a day-to-day basis, that's also something that many of us deal with. What are your thoughts on just the everyday hurry? We got to get out the door. Hurry, get your shoes on. Hurry, eat your lunch. Do you see a lot of that with the families that you work with? Not a lot, but I do think that it happens for all of us. And ideally, it's going to be rare and not the model. And if it happens, if we see it happening, that's a good reason to look at how we're planning our morning and maybe where our child needs more help from us. This is particularly true with the older child when there's a sibling and the older child we know can get dressed himself, but still wants that parental care and touch and all of that can't express that to us, but will not get dressed. And what's often needed there, what I would recommend is to put that into your morning routine that I'm going to be dressing this guy. And you know, this is a loving time we're going to have together before I send him off 
for his day if he's going to school or whatever it is. And I'm going to use this time, but I'm not going to expect that will be parts of that that he does want to do himself, which is great. He'll do it because he wants to, but I'm not going to expect that and try to force that to happen. Just in a practical sense, we all notice as parents, when we're rushing, children put the brakes on. It's It used to happen to me and I would, <laughs> every time I'd kind of be surprised because I'd forget. So I'd be on the changing table with my baby and I was kind of in a hurry. And sure enough, all of a sudden I'm getting all this resistance that I wouldn't normally get. <laughs> and then of course, it's because they're feeling my stress and they're so sensitive and they're so aware that it just, you know, we could be thinking it and they know it. So yeah, it's unnerving for them when the leader that they look up to is the person that should know what they're doing and take care of them is uncomfortable, clearly. So I have no choice as a child but to be uncomfortable. But we forget that as parents. We get into our own. Ah. So my recommendation, if you do have to rush, again, learn from it. Why am I, we can't do this every day. So I'm going to try to figure out my day differently. But if you do on those off times when you do have to, I used to make a game out of it and just kind of say, ah, I got to rush, I got to rush, here we go, here we go, you know, and do this like silly rushing thing. And that would get me through those, those rare moments. But again, I don't recommend doing that often or on a daily basis for sure. Right. And I think that a lot of parents are getting into a cycle where they're overscheduling and they have a lot of places to be with their kids. And sometimes that can contribute to this feeling of hurriedness that, you know, they've got three destinations every day after school or Saturday morning and they have a laundry list of places they need to go basketball, soccer, ballet. And it can feel stressful. And for sure, that feeling of, of hurriedness and stress will, can be transferred onto our kids. But it's also, it's looking at the situation, like you said, you know, understanding that if we're making the choice to schedule ourselves out into a lot of activities that we are probably going to be in a bigger hurry and our stress levels may be higher. Do you have any words of advice for parents who are struggling to find balance with that? I don't know if people are going to like my advice, but it's not to have activities after school. If a child, if a young child is going to school, then that should be their big stepping up time of the day. And as they get older, maybe four or five, if there's something that they really express interest in themselves, not me saying, but do you want to do this now? And do you want to do that now? Because even that can redirect a child who might Again, this is going with the trust piece and how they know themselves better than we do. It might redirect our child from something that is much more meaningful to him or her. Like, I wanted to sit and draw today at home, and but I've got to go to this sports thing because my parents asked me if I wanted to go and they obviously think it's a good idea. And so I should go. So I totally trust children on this. This is the whole trust thing and how I've carried it into my children's adulthood. I've used the same approach with them still, the Rye approach. I haven't needed anything else. And it's just, it teaches them not to listen to that little bell inside themselves. That's what they want to do. And I feel that's a very delicate little bell that we can take away from them very easily. Yeah, we can, they can get it back if we back off, but it can get drowned out really easily because children do want to please us and they do think we know best about them a lot of the time. And they will go along with things because mom or dad wants me to do this. 
So for all those reasons and the part of uh, just the way children learn, which is they have to assimilate. It takes a lot of time. They can't, they don't learn when they're actually in the activity as much as they learn. And you probably know this from child, your child development education. They have to digest it. They have to process it. They have to play it out. They work through it in a way that where they assimilate it. So I believe in less, which I think you would probably like because you like a minimalist approach. Right. I believe in less is more and serves children much better. And I, I wouldn't do that. And I never did that with my children. I never put them in any after-school activities until they expressed interest. And it wasn't just a one-time whim, but they really expressed interest. And that's what I believe in. And it's served me and my children really, really well over the years and helped them to actually stick with things that, that they loved and move on to things when they were ready and had gained enough from that and have a lot of downtime to daydream and be with themselves and feel comfortable in their skin. So anyway, it's, I know it's a controversial, especially this day and age, but even when my kids were little back then in those old days, people weren't doing, there wasn't all this pressure there is now, but there's a wonderful book that I don't hear talked about much anymore. And it was just one of the old standbys when my kids were little that everybody that was being mindful about parenting read, and it's The Hurried Child by David Elkind. Oh yeah, I have read that. Yes. And it's about all of these things I'm talking about. Yeah. And I think it's hard with young children and the extracurriculars. I'm also an advocate for less is more when it comes to activities outside the home. I do think that there are a lot of parents especially mothers who are at home with children that start to feel bored and they feel like they need to get out, especially if there's more than one child and those children tend to pick at each other. There's some sibling rivalry going on that these outings and getting out of the house can feel like a reprieve and in some ways also a way to avoid boredom in children. And what are your thoughts about avoiding boredom in childhood? Well, I don't, I don't believe that very young children get bored. And Boredom, I think, is something that gets taught actually by giving kids too much stimulation so that they're very used to being uh, outwardly stimulated and then they're not comfortable with that place of less. And but boredom is actually something that has kind of gone in this day and age because now, I mean, for us as adults, for sure, we've got. I mean, we don't have to stand in line and wait for something. We have entertainment. We have our phones. We have, it's a lost art, I think, boredom, actually, where that time where you really thought about things in a different way, or you got an idea, or you noticed something about somebody, or you looked outside and saw the day, and you had a memory about something. We're so stimulated these days. And I think when children are bored, which is really just that place when you're not sure what you want to do and maybe you're tired and you don't feel like doing anything, then that's like a magical place where a child can be an innovator when they come out of that. They have get an idea and they go with it. And it's something that totally comes from them. That's creativity. That's, you know, creativity doesn't come when we're stimulated. It comes when we're, when we have a open place in us. So yeah, 
Black Digger used to say that babies don't get bored, they get tired, and the parent is bored, and the parent projects the boredom on the child. But when babies are kind of cranky, that's it's not because I don't have enough stimulation. Generally, they're overstimulated. Yeah, and you're right. Adults don't get that downtime. They don't experience boredom either. I remember I got an Apple Watch like a year ago, and when I was buying it, they were trying to sell me on either the waterproof version or the non-waterproof version. And I'm like, the waterproof version, does this mean now that I can text in the shower? <laughs> because the shower is... There are two times of the day that I feel like my brain really quiets on its own. And that's when I'm in the shower and when I'm laying down at, for sleep at night in my bed and I close my eyes. And it's those are two times of the day that I'm always screen-free. No one's talking to me. I have that bit of quiet, that bit of time to contemplate. And those times feel very precious. So with the idea that I could be now text messaging while I'm taking a shower feels scary to me. (laughs) Yeah, that is. Wow. Oh my gosh. Right. But yeah, we don't. And we feel because we need to occupy ourselves all the time that our children also need to be occupied all the time. That without that, they're going to be bored. And as a result, boredom is in some way correlated with unhappiness. Right. Or that it's just another feeling that we have to rescue our children from, that it's not safe. It's not okay for them to feel all the lulls in activity. And I I wouldn't even say that we need all the stimulation. I don't, I feel like I don't need the stimulation all the time. I like, for me, it's my jogging that I do and I don't listen to music. I don't have my phone with me. I just think, and I, that's my, the, my best time of my day often because it's very meditative for me and I, I love it. It's precious. But unfortunately we have these little candy bars with us all the time that I don't think we need, but we just dependent on as a little habit that we can entertain ourselves. We have something to do. We don't have to have those blank moments. And it's just going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. I'm kind of fascinated. I don't think it's going to be entirely negative. Obviously, it's just going to be very different. But I wonder how it's going to be in the future with all this. This is a huge change that we have something to fill every space. Yeah. And the stimulation that our children are seeking is more now than it ever was. A couple of months ago, my kids stumbled on an old Gumby. Did you watch Gumby when you were a child? I didn't, but I had a Gumby. (laughs) Okay. So you know what I'm talking about. So I hadn't seen that since I was a child and we watched an episode of it together and it was so slow. I mean, they literally roll out the figurines out of clay. (laughs) Like it was so slow and low stimulation and they loved it. My kids loved it. But I thought to myself, this used to be what the television was in childhood. And now it's just totally, totally changed. I think the pace of it, the intensity of it, everything about the way that we're stimulating our children is changing. Well, yeah, but I still, I'm going to hold on to my old fashioned view that it really doesn't have to be. And that's one of the reasons I I would not introduce uh, media for a, a long time or as long as possible. And if when so, when I did that, I would use something like Mr. Rogers or something that is on that slow pace, because for children, that's not, like you said, your children like it. It's not slow for children. We're the ones that are training our children up into this need for high stimulation and no tolerance for boredom. We can't avoid that. We really can. And maybe our children will be the ones that are out there with a different frame of mind that has something to offer the world that's different. I don't know. I'm going to get off my preaching thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, and, and I agree with that. And I think if we do choose to offer screen time to our kids, that we can be mindful of that. I do think that it's possible to avoid high stimulating media and high stimulating toys for our kids. And when possible, we absolutely should. But there is a lot of variety out there when it comes to media, if we do choose to use it with our kids. Yes. I remember my daughter, when we first showed her something, it was um, home movies, and which in those days you had to put on a regular TV. You know, you didn't have it on a phone or something. You had to put it on a TV. But anyway, she would watch that. And I remember my husband <laughs> getting so worried she was going to be just completely self-obsessed because she was watching movies of herself. <laughs> but she hasn't. But it was very slow paced, obviously. It was very real life. And that's, if you're going to show anything, that's the best thing. It's even better just to, sh- to have a something that's auditory where you're just listening to story and using your imagination. So that's what I recommend for downtime, which I is mostly I recommend in the late afternoon, that kind of natural lull of the day, rather than using a screen that takes all the imagination away from your child, use something where their mind is actually working and they're learning to read actually. Um, some of these tapes have books that go with them. Those are wonderful. I swear my daughter learned to read through a music tape that had a songbook with the words in it. And anyway, so that's a, a less overwhelming kind of stimulation. We love our audiobooks. We do have some audiobooks and we have an old-fashioned boombox CD player that my kids have been practicing being gentle with their CDs and putting them in and out of the CD player, which I love. Some of them are a little scratched, but they have survived. (laughs) But they have really enjoyed that. And when I was a kid, I remember enjoying the tapes, like the little golden books with the tapes, the chime to turn the page. That was something that I have very fond memories of. Yes. I just feel like, yeah, we do have a lot of power as parents. Um, And if we can trust that boredom is safe, boredom's okay, that our child will have ideas for play that that's not our job, decide those things and stimulate them, that they are better able to gauge the perfect amount of stimulation for themselves by, you know, coming from within with just offering some basic toys that aren't too busy. So the child can be the one that's using them creatively and open-ended toys and objects and things to explore and children will do what we used to do when I was a kid, which is we made up all these games, my sisters and I, and we had the most, we had such a rich childhood of imagination. And I don't think that's this archaic thing that can never happen again. It's not, but it also doesn't happen without some intentional parenting. I think, I think we really have to seek it more now than we used to in the past. And avoid but it's possible. Quick fix with things. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Janet. This has been great chatting with you. I appreciate your perspective on all these things. Thank you. Well, thanks for letting me share. And I hope I wasn't too uh, preachy. (laughs) Oh, of course. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we have such an incredible opportunity as parents to develop these relationships and to give our children these wonderful feelings of trust in themselves from the time they're little that really develops into this secure self-confidence and again, be the best versions of themselves. Right. We trust them and they learn to trust themselves as a result. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you, Janet. Thank you, Danae. I'm a fan of your work and I really appreciate talking with you. Oh, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. 
Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have questions or comments, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 137 and you can leave those there. And don't forget to go check out the masterclass and get signed up for that 30% discount this week. That's simplefamilies.com forward slash masterclass. Thanks for tuning in. As always, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I hope to hear from you soon. Have a good one.